0: Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? All 12 of you are so excited to be here. (laughs) Hey, just to clarify, this is not bush light. This is Fresca, because if it was bush light, it would be a much more interesting message, I'm sure. Uh, Well, hey, it's so good to see you all. If you're new or newish to Zion, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad you are with us. If you're looking for a church to call home, especially if you're not visiting, I know we have people who come throughout uh, Iowa, Minnesota, Kansas sometimes that come and hang out in the summer. But if you live in Clear Lake, Cerro Gordo, Mason City, if you're looking for a church to call home, a spiritual family, we hope you'll consider being a part of what God is doing here. For the rest of you who are visiting, we are so glad you are with us. And uh, many of you have wonderful church families that you're a part of in other places. And so it means a lot to us that you would choose to be here with us. Uh, I hope you guys came hungry for God's word this morning. How many of you are ready for God's presence, God's word, and God's power this morning? If so, say amen. All right. I believe that God wants to do incredible things because he's an incredible God. Do you believe that? And what it requires of us is just to be ready. Now here's the thing, even if you're not ready this morning, maybe you're here and you're distracted because of the week, there are things that have been going on, and you're here but not here. We all know that feeling, right? When you're present but not present at the same time. Here's the cool thing about God. God loves to meet people in unexpected places. God loves to meet you even when you're not ready to meet with Him, but imagine how much more when you are ready. Imagine how much more when you're anticipating, hungry for God to move in your life. So if you want to see God move, even if you're not ready for it, if you want to see God move in your life, would you stand with me and we're going to pray this prayer together. And it's an opportunity to say, God, remove the distractions. It's an opportunity to prepare our hearts, to let him speak to our lives, to our souls, to speak to the fears and shames that we might have, and and more importantly, It's an opportunity of surrender. And so, if that's, if you're ready for this, would you just repeat after me in this prayer? Here we go. Lord Jesus, I sometimes forget who I am. Remind me that I am who you say I am. Help me to fix my eyes on you, to see through the lies I have believed about you, about others, and even about myself. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to rest in your promises, to hope in your faithfulness, to walk in your freedom, and live by your word. In the powerful name of King Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. Would you remain standing as we read our verses or as I read to you our verses this morning. They're found in John 15, Mark 8, and Galatians 2. Here we go. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing nothing. Mark chapter 8, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the human concerns. And the apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. If you were here last week, I have a confession to make. And this is a true confession. I'm not saying this to be funny. I totally felt like an imposter. I felt like a fraud up here last week. And you might be like, wow, what was the message about? Um, And I, I want you to understand my heart. See, last Sunday we talked about God's promise of rest. That for most of us, myself included, we've bought into the lie that busyness is next to godliness. How many of you heard that and were a little convicted by that statement, that busyness is next to godliness? This isn't a new problem. God knew from the beginning that human beings, that as image bearers, we would struggle to keep work in its proper place. This is a human condition. In fact, most of us here today in this park believe at least one or more of these lies about rest. Here they go. Some of you resist rest because rest is for the week or for the future or after you've done and had enough fun. Some of you fear rest because you don't want to look lazy or you're afraid that things will fall apart or that you're going to let other people down. And some of you redefine rest. You think rest means taking naps, escaping into a hobby or into a movie or it's isolating from people, or merely turning deeper into your emotions. And I'll I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like I wanna do all three of those things. Sometimes I resist it, sometimes I'm afraid, and sometimes I redefine. Now here's the thing, God knew that this would happen from the very beginning, which is why when you open the Bible, the very first chapters of Scripture actually kind of create or set the stage for the rest of the Bible. You may not know that. You may not know that Genesis 1 through 3 are actually the framework for the rest of the story of Scripture. All the way to Revelation. Now I want you to think about this. If you're familiar with the Bible, and I don't want to assume everybody here is, I know that there are some of you here this morning who may, maybe you weren't raised in church. You've never picked up a Bible. Or maybe you've read it or were in Sunday school and so you have very minimal understanding. But let me tell you, the Bible begins with the story that is meant to shape our true understanding of what rest is from the very beginning. Here's what the Bible shows us. Work is good, but rest, rest is holy. And that's hard because what we've done is we've made work holy and rest good. We see that in our culture. For the first six days of creation after each day that God created, he said these words, He worked and God said it was, everybody say it with me, good. But on the seventh day, after God created humans, who are his image bearers, God declared on the sixth day it was very good. But on the seventh day, God rested from all his work and declared the seventh day, or the Sabbath, holy. Everybody say Sabbath. Everybody say holy. The Sabbath is holy. Now... Here's the thing, God didn't need to work, he's God. He could have snapped his fingers and creation existed. Why does it say that God worked? Well, he's setting up a narrative for your life and for mine. Because here's the thing, as humans, we are created to do God's work in his world. We're stewards of his work. But our first and primary responsibility is not to work, it's to bear his image. Which is why, and this is the coolest part, check this out, so important. My favorite part of the creation story is right after God creates humans, day six, the very next day, the very first thing that all human beings do that Adam and Eve did, they rest in God. They don't go right to work. They don't go into the busyness of work. God creates and then they rest. And then once they rest, then they go and do the work that God created them to. Why? What's the point of this? Because most of us think the goal is to work hard and then rest. Many of you here today think that's the goal. I'm going to work really hard all week, and then I'm going to take the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend, right? Everybody's working for the rest, for the play. And here's what you do. You work really hard until you're exhausted. And then once you're exhausted, you go, now I can rest. Here's the problem. God absolutely wants something different for your life and for mine. God wants you to do more than rest from work. God created you to work from your rest. Did you hear the difference? God did not create you to rest from work. He created you to work from your rest. God prepares a rest that will help you do the right Type of work. Now, I want you to hear this next phrase, this next statement. Are you ready for this? Who's ready for this? Say amen. Here we go. Ready? But when you learn to rest in God, that's when God does his best work in you. When you learn to rest in Jesus, that's when he does his best work in you. Now, we get that all confused, don't we? We tend to think that I've got to do all this stuff, but what I do then is I begin to work to earn God's approval. That's what moralism is, just doing a different kind of work. Religion is just a different kind of work. Some of you are here today to put in your check mark to say, well, I went to church, check, I did my job. You're missing the point. To learn to rest in God, when you do this, God brings the promise of life the promise of freedom, the promise of hope and joy. These are just a few of the promises, but you only really access these when you learn to rest in the promise of God, when you learn to rest in who God is. And here's the thing, we have to fight to believe in God's promise of rest because the devil wants to keep you busy so you never truly rest. You have an enemy. And that enemy is Satan, and he wants to do everything he can to get in the way. Which is why we have to fight to trust the words of Jesus. When Jesus said, and this is what I said last week, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everybody say light. And this is why I felt like a fraud. Because I'm just going to be honest with you guys, I struggle to trust In resting in God's rest, I do. The entire time I was up here preaching, the Holy Spirit was saying, Jason, that's for you. That's for you. That's for you. I needed that message last week probably as much as many of you did. And here's why I say that. When I get up here to preach, I'm not preaching as somebody who's got it figured out. I don't. I am in process like the rest of you. And there are times where, here's the thing, I know and fully believe that murder, adultery, lying, cheating, coveting, I believe those are wrong. But it's so easy for me to convince myself that it's okay not to rest even though God made rest a command. And so I have to repent to you as not just your pastor, but as a brother in Christ, I really struggle to rest. I resist it, I fear it, and sometimes I redefine it. I can't tell you how many times and how many of you can relate to this, how many times I've had a long week and then what I do is I veg out and I binge on Netflix. Anybody done that? And I don't feel like I've rested more. I've maybe relaxed, but I'm not recharged, it's not fueling me, it's not, in fact, it's treating me, it's giving me a lie about defining my life. Now, you might be thinking, Jason, this is a really long recap from last week, and here's the thing, it's actually not a a recap, it's a setup. I, I don't know if you know this, in fact, you probably don't, unless you've heard me say it before. I don't preach sermons, I preach series. Which is why, if you miss a sermon, I do a recap the next week because it's not a, well, here's one thing Jason's thinking about and now he's going to talk about it. Every sermon that we do is connected to a larger series which is connected to a larger theme for our church. This last year, we spent an entire year going through the theme of belief. Everything we talked about had to do with belief. Before that, it was belonging. And this fall, we're going to get into becoming, which these are our three core values, belie- belong, belief, become. So when I say that this is the setup, it is. Last week was a combination of everything we've talked about this summer from trusting in God's promise of forgiveness, trusting in God's promise of freedom and hope, trusting in God's promise that He is faithful. And yes, last week we talked about learning to trust in God's promise that real rest is found in Him, which is why this morning we're going to talk about God's promise of identity. See, I don't believe we have a sin problem. We have an identity problem. That's where sin comes from. Sin is an identity crisis because if you actually knew who you were and whose you were, you wouldn't make the decisions that you did. I wouldn't make the decisions that I did. In fact, I would begin to think differently about myself and even the issue of sin if I truly understood my identity. But here's the problem. You may not understand this, but your identity in Jesus is formed in resting in Jesus. You don't learn your identity by reading a book or listening to a sermon. Those are good information. But the work of identity happens when you learn to rest in the goodness of Jesus in His promises. You don't have to work for it, you have to rest in the promises of God. But here's the thing, how many of you, like me, struggle to actually rest? Be honest, who's there? Which is why we have to understand how to rest. Now, last week I shared another example of how God created our physical bodies to reflect spiritual realities. I have some friends who are very big into the gym. I work out three to five days a week. I lift. I do all these things. And you may not know this, but most people believe, unless you actually understand how the human body works, they think that when you go to the gym, you're building muscle. That's actually not where muscle is built. When you work out at the gym, when you lift weights, that work actually damages your muscles. It tears them down. It breaks them apart. And the actual growth, the actual strength doesn't happen in the work, it happens in the rest. You have to actually, your body was created in such a a way that in order for the muscle to grow and get stronger from the stress of work, you must rest. You need rest because in rest, your body repairs the muscle, thus making it stronger and bigger. This process is called hypertrophy. This is a spiritual truth about our bodies and our soul. This is true for your spiritual well-being. Remember, work is good, but rest is holy. And what if, and this is really important, what if God created you and me so that the most important the most formational work, the growing, the maturing, the strengthening of our souls and our being and our identity, the building of who you are as a follower of Jesus happens not through your work and effort, but through the work he does in you when you rest in him. What if that's the real work? What if the reason God wants you to learn to rest in him is because he loves you, he cares about you, yes, he likes you, and has called you his own. <clears throat> At the heart of rest are two words, trust and abide. These words are directly connected to the word rest, to trust and abide. And this morning I want to look, I want to take a few moments, and we're going to talk about a very popular person in the New Testament, a guy named Peter. Peter. And we're going to look at Peter's life in some moments where he trusted, rested in Jesus, and other times he didn't. And my hope is, is that maybe you'll see a little bit of yourself in this story, just like I have. Now, if you're new to this Bible stuff, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, of the three apostles, Peter, James, and John were his best friends. In the ancient world of Jesus, Peter's Hebrew name was Simon, or Simeon. In the ancient world of Jesus, if you were a man, it was normal to do whatever your father did for a living. So if your father was a carpenter, Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, was a carpenter. Therefore, Jesus became what? A carpenter. Most people, if whatever your father did, that's what you did as a man. Well, Simon, him and his brother were in the family business of fishing. Simon was a fisherman. This was his business. Now, if I were to ask you, if I were to take you aside, take you out to lunch, and I were to ask you to describe yourself to me, who are you? Here's what 99.9% of you would say, unless you knew the setup. You would say this. First, you'll tell me what you do for a job. Oh, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, I, I work, I'm a teacher. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I do construction. I own my own business. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a... And then if you don't do that, you'll tell me your marital status. Well, I'm married. I'm single. I'm divorced. I'm widowed. Then you'll go on to tell me about your children because your children define you. Or you'll tell me about a hobby or something else. Now, here's the thing. This is not new. This has not changed in thousands of years. Throughout history, human beings have defined themselves by what they do. But some of you will define yourselves by your failures. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, I'm a cheat, I'm a murderer, I'm a liar. You'll define yourself by your worst moments, not just your best moments. And in the ancient world, this was also true. Simon was a fisherman. That's how everybody saw him. And he was the son of a man named John or Jonah. And Jesus had just recently started his ministry. Now check this out, 30 years old, which is when a rabbi begins his ministry. Jesus goes throughout the country. And unlike most rabbis, he's not rich. He's not wealthy. He's a homeless rabbi. And he begins to teach. And as he's teaching people, he's telling them to repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. The word repent just means to turn, go a different direction. So Jesus is going out and he's teaching people. Now the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all tell different aspects of Jesus' story. Sometimes they share similar stories from a different perspective. And here's what we find. Jesus begins his ministry by going out and he's teaching the word of God unlike any other religious leader. People are drawn to listen to Jesus. He's not just doing that. He's also healing people already. He's casting out demons. People sick are being healed and it's remarkable. And here's the thing. We'll read that and we'll go, wow, Jesus was so unique. Did you know that there were other rabbis who did similar things? In the ancient worlds, there were other rabbis that people loved to listen to talk. There were even rabbis who said they casted out demons and that they healed the sick. This was not new. Now, one of the things that's interesting about Jesus is Jesus was not only the first person to do this, but most people just saw Jesus as maybe a good prophet in the ancient world, meaning he told people how to come back to God. So that's why he was popular. Peter, or Simon, actually knew about Jesus before we have this encounter where Jesus tells him to drop his net. See, here's what's happening. One day, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and he gets word that Simon's mother-in-law, which tells us that Simon's married. And we find out that Simon's mother-in-law is sick with a really high fever. Now, how many of you, let's, and I'm going to ask you to be honest here, how many of you struggle with believing in miracles, It's okay if you do. How many of you, you read the stories in the Bible and you're like, I don't know. Maybe they thought they were sick or maybe it was a mental health condition. It's okay if you wrestle with it. What I'm gonna ask you to do is not suspend your belief, but to at least acknowledge that we don't know how everything operates in the world. Would you agree with me on that? There are things that even with science, we cannot explain. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is not to suspend your belief, but to just trust for a moment that maybe... When Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote these things, they might have happened. So people dismissed rabbis or faith healers just like they do now. When you hear about healing, I'm the first one to go, I don't know if I believe that. It's only because I've actually seen healing in people's lives that I believe that God heals. So this was not a new thing. People were like, okay, Jesus is... He's just a better, more articulate, more powerful rabbi. But there was a lot of skepticism. Now check this out. Jesus goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house and she's got a high fever and he prays for her, speaks life over her, and she's healed. Now Simon sees this. Simon knows this, so he's aware of Jesus. And now this is where we find a common story in three of the Gospels. Simon and his brother have just been fishing all night and have caught nothing. Now, when I say fishing, I don't mean a rod and a reel. I don't mean they're throwing out a lure. Fishing is hard work the way they did it in the ancient world. You'd throw a net. The nets got wet and heavy, and all night they're throwing them out. They're bringing back in. They're exhausted. They've been fishing all night, and they've caught nothing. Here they are. They're cleaning their nets, meaning they're done for the day. They've done their work, and here comes the rabbi, Jesus. Now, again, Simon knows Jesus. He may even think he owes Jesus a favor because he healed his mother-in-law. And Jesus, now I want you to picture this, okay? Often when we read the Bible, we romanticize the stories as if they're like, oh, yes, Jesus, I'd love to do such things. Here's what happens. Jesus sees the boat on the side. They're cleaning the nets. Jesus steps into their boat and says, hey, Simon, I need you to push me out and take me out into the water a little bit. I want to teach. Now, imagine... If I showed up at your work and said, hey, I know you're closed for the day, but I got something to say. How many of you would be like, yes, Jason, I would love to have you do that. Most of you here would be like, get out of my face. I'm done, right? But Simon feels like he owes Jesus. So he takes Jesus out into the water. Jesus begins to proclaim and teach. And then he gets finished. He goes, hey, Simon, I know I'm done teaching, but I'm not done yet. I want you to get all the nets that you just cleaned. And I want you to take me into deeper waters and cast out your nets again. Now, this is where I picture Simon going, hey, Jesus, you stick to the rabbi stuff. I'll stick to the fishing stuff. I know how to fish. You know how to rabbi. Go rabbi, right? But Simon goes, fine. And uh, here's what I picture. This is what I picture Simon doing. I'll give you a net and fishing. Sure. Right. This is what I think happens. Jesus goes out, Simon does it, and it makes it sound like that he's like, absolutely. Now, here's what he says. He says, master, of course I'll do it. Now, why does he call him master? This is not a slave relationship. He calls him master because that was a title of respect. But it doesn't mean he did it happily. Now, check this out. This is so cool. Did you know that you can trust God and struggle Did you know that you can trust God and wrestle? Did you know that you can trust God and even be a little grumpy about it? How many of you ever had that moment? I can tell you I've had where the Lord says, Jason, do this. And I'm like, "Uh, no, I don't want to do it. So they go out. He casts the net down. And this is where the very popular story is. He casts the nets. And what happens? They pull up a load of fishes so heavy it begins to sink the boat. Now, this is the coolest part. Are you ready for this? Now remember, other rabbis were good teachers. Other rabbis casted out demons. Other rabbis even healed the sick. But because Jesus tells them to cast their nets after a long night, and they not only catch a few fish, they catch so many fish that the boat is weighed down. Peter, Simon at this point, falls at the feet of Jesus and declares, get away from me. You are a holy man and I am a sinner. You're like, wait a second, what? Here's the thing. There are con men who will fake healings. There are con men or even psychological things that are going on where people will convince that demons are being cast out. But you know what a con man cannot do? He cannot tell you to cast out your nets and you catch so many fish that it's unbelievable. You can't orchestrate that. Only the God of the universe can control nature. And What has Jesus just done? He's controlled nature. And Simon is confronted by his humanity, his sinfulness, which is why he says, get away from me. I am a sinner. You are God. But listen to Jesus' response. Jesus says, Simon, put down your nets and follow me put down your nets and follow me. And it says these words, Simon and his brother put down their nets and they followed Jesus. Now, you might be asking the question, what's this got to do with rest? To rest in something means you trust in it. When Simon put down his nets, he was resting in Jesus' authority. He was trusting that following Jesus was worth it. See up until that point Simon was defined by these truths he was Simon the son of John he was Simon the fisherman he was Simon who was married and now he is Simon who follows Jesus. The only way that Simon can do this is Simon had to trust and abide he had to rest in who Jesus is. Now What does this have to do with you and me? I want you to think about this for a moment. What are you defining your life by? What are you resting in, abiding in, thinking that it's going to define you? Simon understood that Jesus was something different. He repented from his old life. Again, repentance is not always about sin. It simply means he said, I once was a fisherman. Now Jesus says you're going to be a fisher of men. He once was Simon, son of John. Now he's Simon, follower of Jesus. He repented from his old life, fishing. He dropped his nets. Why did he drop them? Because he believed and then he followed Jesus into a new identity. His whole life, his identity had been fisherman, son, married. Now he's follower. When Simon dropped his nets, something happened. He was now taking... The yoke of Jesus on his life. The yoke that we talked about last week that said, my burden is easy and my work is light. Simon was choosing to rest, trust, and abide in Jesus. Because he followed Jesus, he was putting his trust in resting in who Jesus was telling him to be. Now because of this, he got to experience some pretty remarkable things. Check out the list of just some of the things that Simon got to experience because he rested in Jesus. He got to be a part of healings himself. He got to see demons cast out. He got to see Jesus calm a storm. He watched Jesus miraculously turn a few loaves and fishes into enough food to feed thousands of of hungry people. He got to hand out the bread and the fish. He got to be a part of that. Simon even got to walk on water one night. This is all because he trusted in who Jesus was. Each one of these moments happened because Simon was resting, putting his trust in Jesus. Had he not done that, he would have just went about his life catching fish, which is honorable. Nothing wrong with that. He got to be a part of these incredible moments because he followed Jesus. Everybody say, follow Jesus. That's going to matter. I want you to put that in your back pocket, okay? Because what does following Jesus teach us? For much of Jesus' ministry, the average Joe loved Jesus, but the religious leaders hated Jesus for a mixture of reasons. Some of them hated Jesus because they were jealous of him. People began to go to Jesus instead of them, but they really hated Jesus because he threatened and undermined the religious power and authority that they had. Here's the crazy thing about Jesus. Jesus upends religious people, including in the church you know how many churches are terrified to actually be the church that Jesus called us to be? Because all of a sudden you start realizing, my job as a pastor is not to have power. My job is to have influence. My job is to point people to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And that's terrifying for some Christians. Now, I want to take us to the next story in Jesus' life, Matthew 16. One day, Jesus turns to the disciples and to Peter, and he asks this question, and this question is important who do people say the son of man is now son of man was a name that he had often described himself as and here's what they said well some say that you're John the Baptist who had just a, a few years earlier had been executed he'd been murdered some of you some people think that you're John the Baptist come to life other people say that you're the prophet Elijah, who never actually tasted death but was carried up in a chariot of fire. Others think you're a prophet, Jeremiah or Ezekiel. We're not really sure who you are. Jesus then says, and I want you to hear this because this is the question that Jesus is asking you this morning. Jesus turns and looks at them and says these words, what about you? Who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Jesus is asking you this question right now. Who is Jesus to you. Simon responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus then tells Simon, blessed are you Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And Jesus now gives Simon, he takes a common Greek word and a common Aramaic word, it's Cephas in Aramaic, And he takes the word Petra, which simply means rock. And he says, now you are no longer Simon, you are now rock. You are Simon Peter, you are Petra. He gives him a new meaning to his life. And then he says these words, and I tell you, Simon Peter, the rock, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. Now, I want you to imagine for yourself, you've walked on water with Jesus. You've seen all these incredible things. And now he just said, hey, Simon, you are the rock. Now, we might go, oh, what does that mean? We immediately find out that Simon let this go to his head a little bit. and Now, this is uh, a little interesting because here's what we find The funny thing about rocks in the ancient world, they didn't have concrete like we have here. Everything was built on rocks. Rocks became pavers for the ground. Rocks also became the foundations of houses and buildings. But what happens when a rock is not bound to something, it becomes a hazard? It's a tripping point. Simon ends up becoming a hazard to the ministry of Jesus. Immediately after Jesus tells him he's the rock, we find out how fallible Simon is. Now here's what happens in the very next chapter. It's not even a few chapters later. He tells Simon, you're the rock. And here's, check this out. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And then that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now remember, just moments ago, Jesus told Simon, Simon, your new name is Peter Petra the Rock, and I'm going to build my church on you, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter then takes Jesus aside. Remember, Jesus said, follow me, and Peter says, hey, Jesus, come with me. Jesus takes, or Peter takes Jesus aside and says, hey, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to let you die. You need to just trust me. After all, I'm the rock. You need to follow me, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. Did you catch this? Peter, Simon, the rock has become a tripping hazard to Jesus. What happened? How did he go from Peter dropping his nets following Jesus to now saying Jesus you come with me let me protect you let me lead the way what happened well here's what I think happened and I'll describe it through a story of my own life which I have shared before but I think it's appropriate I was a junior in high school I'd been a Christian for about two and a half years and I was known for evangelism and going out and sharing my faith I was bold in my faith which is just another word for I was a jerk And so I come and I remember sitting down with my youth pastor and these words literally came out of my mouth. You know, I don't think I have much else to learn about this faith stuff. I think I've arrived. I actually said those words. I think I've arrived. And he looked at me and he goes, you're an idiot. (laughs) I'm like, what? And he goes, if you really think you've arrived, you've literally just begun. You know nothing. What happened to Simon Peter? He believed his own press. In a brief moment, he went from follower of Jesus to now thinking he could lead Jesus. And here's where we have this famous story. Are you ready for this? Jesus turns to Peter, pulls him aside, and says these words. He turned, looks at his disciples. He then rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, he straight up just told Peter, the rock, get behind me, Satan. This is how we know Peter's not infallible. Peter's still a human being with human issues. Now, you may not know this, but in Hebrew, Satan is not the devil's name. The devil's proper name in Hebrew is Lucifer. Everybody say Lucifer. He's a fallen angel. Satan is actually a reworking of a Hebrew word, ha-satan, which simply means adversary or accuser. So when he turns to Peter, Satan, the adversary, was now making Peter the adversary of Jesus. But here's really what happens. Why does he tell him to get behind? Well, yes, Satan had tricked Peter into thinking that he was in charge. Did you know that the devil's greatest lie in some of your life is that you're the leader of Jesus? And so when he tells Peter, Satan, get behind me, here's what he's really saying. Peter, you forgot you're not the rock, I am. Peter, your identity is follower, servant of me. What Peter thought was him protecting Jesus' mission was actually leading him to become a stumbling block, an adversary, a ha-satan, an obstacle of Jesus' mission. So Jesus telling Peter to get behind him is actually him saying this, Peter, remember, you follow me, I don't follow you. You follow me, I don't follow you. Get back behind me. I believe that for most of us, myself included, our confusion comes because we think that Jesus needs to trust in us more than we need to trust in him. I think for my own life, what I end up doing is saying, Jesus, how about you follow me into my everyday life instead of me saying, Jesus, I will follow you. And so when Jesus says this, he's actually saying, Peter, the rock, you're confused. Get out of my way and get behind me. Trust me, rest in me, fall back behind me where I have called you to be all along. You trusted me, you followed me to heal your mother-in-law. You trusted me when I told you to cast your nets on the other side. You trusted me when I told you to come out on the water and walk with me. Now trust me when I say these words, I have to die so that I can be raised from the dead. Rest in me even when it's hard to trust. Yes, Peter, you are my son, but you are also my servant. Your hope is in me, not the other way around. Did you catch that? Your hope is in Jesus, not the other way around. Peter Your power comes from me, not from yourself. Your authority comes from me. You don't have authority on your own. Did you know you have no power and authority in your own life other than what God has given you? God is calling us to follow him, to rest in him. He is your strength. You are not his. And I'll be honest, I struggle with that. And if you don't believe just how human Peter is, Follow the very next story. What happens? Jesus gets taken into custody and he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, not a chance. I'm the rock. And he denies Jesus three times and then bitterly weeps as Jesus is about ready to be executed. Peter is anything but infallible, anything but a perfect leader. Rather... Peter, Simon, is just like you and me. He's a broken vessel in need of a Savior who God graciously entrusted his power and authority to build his church. God has entrusted you and me with his power and authority. He's entrusted you and me But that growth where we mature is found in resting in Him. Now what's this got to do with identity? So many of you are working so hard to find your identity, to shape your identity or reshape your identity. Here's the thing. Jesus has already told you where to find it. Jesus has already told you if you want to know who you are, it starts with whose you are. Jesus is so good, so loving, that he doesn't make finding your identity a secret. It's not some plan. You don't need to read a a special book. You don't need to go to a seminar. The only thing you need to learn to do is to trust the source of your true identity. Listen to the words. These are just some of the passages, some of the statements from Jesus, and then I'm going to round it out with something Paul said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Turn from who you were, the lies you believed about yourself, about your worth, about your sin, and believe in Jesus and his coming kingdom. Second, drop your nets, come and follow me. Leave your old identity. Jesus needs to become your new identity. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. If you follow Jesus, you will care about the things Jesus cares about. You will care about people. Did you know God cares about people? Which means we should what? care about people. Lost and broken people. He then says these words a little bit later. If you want to find your life, you need to lose your life. In other words, you can keep holding on to what you think life is supposed to be, the world's values and priorities. But if you really want to find life, you have to let your life go. You have to trust Jesus with your life. And then Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Meaning, following Jesus is not going to be easy. It will mean dying to yourself And then Jesus ends with these words in John, I am the vine, you are the branches. Here's the thing about vines and branches. Branches only exist because of vines. Jesus must be your vine. He must be the root of your identity. And then from that, you find out who you are. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Did you know that word remain simply means to put full weight in? In Greek, it's the word meno. It means to abide, to trust, to rest, you must rest in who Jesus is, not who you are. And for those of you who have sins that have been following you around, you get to trust in the promise of forgiveness because of Jesus. You have to rest in his promise of forgiveness if you put your faith in Jesus. Jesus is the source of life. He is the source of your strength and power. He is your true identity. Your access to those things is found in resting, relying, abiding, trusting in him as your true source. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. Where are, what are you resting in other than Jesus? What are you abiding in today, this week? Is the thing that you're abiding in giving you rest or is it making you restless? Your job? Your marriage? And here's the thing your marriage could be incredible. That doesn't mean you should rest in it. In fact, if you want a healthier marriage, it starts by having a healthier relationship with Jesus. Because here's the crazy thing the more you love Jesus, the more you will accurately love your spouse. As a parent, if you really want to love Jesus or if you really want to love your kids, love Jesus first and you'll love your kids the right way. Paul understood all the source of these things in his identity when he wrote these words in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I want to invite the band back up. As we come to an end, here's what I want you to hear. There's one common thread that ties all of these verses together. Are you ready? Are you ready for it? If you're ready, say amen. At the source, at the center of all these verses is this, our dependence as Jesus as leader. Identity comes by following Jesus, not the other way around. If you want to find your identity, follow Jesus. Get behind Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Stop resting. Stop trusting. Stop abiding in the wrong vine. Some of you have put your entire hope in the wrong thing. But let me ask you this. When your hope is in your job, what happens when you lose your job? If your hope is in your marriage, what happens when your marriage has conflict? Or worse, divorce happens. If your hope is in your children, what happens when your children disappoint? If your hope, if your rest is in money, what happens when the economy turns? You need a true vine. You must rest and you find that by getting behind Jesus and letting him lead the way. What I'm about to say, I wanna say with as much truth and love as I possibly can. I hope you hear my heart and I wanna be clear, I'm not judging anyone because I'm, if I am, I'm also judging myself. I don't know in this, in this space who's saved and who's not. Only God does. But I think sometimes that many of you forget that you are not saved because of the stuff you do. You're saved because of who Jesus is. And here's what this looks like. Many of you will say this. I'm a good Christian. Some of you think you're a Christian because you pray before bed and a meal. You know how many times I've heard that? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I pray before every meal. Praying before a meal doesn't make you a Christian. Or how about this one? Oh, I go to church. Great. Church is a gathering of people. Doesn't make you a Christian. Or you were baptized as a baby. He'd tell you this, baptizing a baby does not save the baby. Faith in Jesus saves the child. Others of you are like, well, I, I said a prayer when I was a teenager. Or I'm a really good person. Some of you think you're a Christian because you invited Jesus into your heart. Which, by the way, did you know nowhere in the Bible does it say to invite Jesus into your heart? Loving Jesus is not an emotional thing. What it does say is confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave for your sins. Confess that and you are saved. You are not to believe Jesus and you are not to ask Jesus into your heart, but rather he wants to be the king of your heart. Did you catch that? He does not follow you. You follow him. Sadly, Some of you may not take seriously these words. A Christian is a disciple, a student of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. If you're not sure if you're a follower of Jesus, then choose today. Who do you say he is? And you're going to do it poorly. Peter did it poorly. I do it poorly. The person next to you, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, Hey, I know you do it poorly. Say it. Come on. Everybody say it. I know you do it poorly. Because none of us are perfect, amen? This is not about your perfection, it's about Jesus's. And if you don't know, if you're not sure, if you're following Jesus, maybe you've been saying, Jesus, follow me. Here's the thing, you might wake up one day in heaven and Jesus is gonna say, hey, i hate to tell you this, I don't follow anybody, I don't know you. You follow me. And if you're ready to follow Jesus, would you stand up? If you've never followed Jesus in your life and you want her today, would you stand up? If you're not sure if you've been following Jesus, if you need to confess and repent and say, Jesus, I'm done asking you to follow me. I'm going to follow you. If that's you, say amen. Here is the call of holiness in your life. It starts by resting in God's promise and goodness, and then you have promise of forgiveness, of hope, of healing, of freedom, and true identity in Jesus. We're gonna close with this last song, but before we do that, here's what I wanna do. Did you know if you're struggling in your life, and I don't mean because you've got cancer, I mean if you're struggling in your relationships, your marriage is falling apart, your life is falling apart, maybe you're miserable, hopeless, trapped, maybe the reason why you feel that way is because you haven't been following Jesus, you expected him to follow you. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to say this simple prayer with me, and then I'm going to invite you to go to the prayer corner this morning and get some prayer. If you need to repent, if you need healing, if you need to reprioritize your life, that you need, maybe you've been an adversary to God's work in your life because you've been standing in front of Jesus saying, Jesus, do what I do. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to follow me. If you need prayer, I'm going to tell you, don't wait. Don't walk. Don't hesitate. Go. Come before the Lord. Let us pray for you. Come and repent. And for everybody else, if you do this, if if you want to reprioritize, reorganize, reorient your life this morning, would you just put your hands out like this? And we're going to do a simple prayer together. Ready? Here it goes. Ready? Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Lord Jesus. I'm sorry, I've not followed you. I asked you to follow me. I don't wanna be your adversary anymore. Help me in my unbelief. Holy Spirit, help me to trust in you. I want to follow you. And when I fail, I trust in your goodness. In Jesus' name, everybody declared. Amen. Can we just give a celebration for how God has moved this morning? If you need prayer this morning, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Go come to the altar of the Lord. If you gave your life to Christ, let the person know next to you. Thank you so much for being here. Let's close in worship.